Amen. Everybody, Brother Rob. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> I know it's not morning, but to, to me it is. You got you got to give me a little bit of a, a pass here. Has anyone ever pulled an all-nighter before? You know, staying up all night. You probably had a good reason. You're probably studying for a test, or you had a project at home, or you were driving somewhere, traveling. Uh, I think I'm on number ten in a row. So my world is totally flipped around. I woke up at 4:30 p.m. today, had my raisin bran cereal, and uh, I'm wide awake and ready to go. So grab a Bible. We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke tonight. Grab a Bible from the brand new pews. They look great. I have to say to, to Pastor Phil and his family who are watching from vacation, thank you for being here with us. Um, I took a picture of the pews when I got here today because they look so great. And I set it as the background for the live stream. Before the live stream starts, there's a little picture that says live stream will begin in a moment. Well, I used the picture of all the pews to just kind of show Pastor Phil and his family what they're missing out on. But also to give them something to look forward to when they come back. So, Amen. Uh, but we're doing things a little bit out of order tonight because we're going to do the message and then we'll get into our prayer time. I have to drive out to, uh, to work right after this. So um, if I go long, I don't want to get into the prayer time and, and cut that off. So grab your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 10. And I'm going to give a message tonight called Hanging in the Balance. Hanging in the Balance. And does everyone have a, does everyone have a Bible? Does anyone need one? Everyone's got one? Okay. Luke chapter 10. If you're using a Bible from the pew, it should be on page 102. It's in the New Testament. It's the third book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. We're going to be, we're going to be in a couple places in Luke tonight, but we're going to start in chapter 10. And turn to page 102 because we're going to start in verse 18. Okay, and when, once you've found it, once you have it, look up at me and I'll know we're ready to go. Okay, a lot of heads. All right, we're going to read Luke chapter 10, verse 18. And he said unto them, this is Jesus speaking to the 70. So Jesus had his 12 disciples. The 70 were uh, those that he appointed afterward to go through and, and basically spread more of the good news in his name and to go out and do all these things. So Jesus is speaking to the 70 here. Verse 18, And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all the amazing work you've done in this church, uh, in my life, in the lives of everyone who's been touched by this church, Lord. Uh, we just pray tonight that we could hear from you, that we could hear directly from, from you and your word, and that Anything that I say, Lord, I pray that it would, I would be just a vessel for you to speak uh, the message that you would have for everyone else. Lord, we all need hope. We all need encouragement. Uh, we all need your word. We all need your grace. We all need salvation. And Lord, I pray that uh, tonight your work would be done in this place. So please join us. Uh, fill the air with your presence. Uh, may this night be a blessing to everyone who's here, who's watching online, and who could make it out to, to be here tonight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, this message is called Hanging in the Balance. And I'm starting here with this one verse, Jesus speaking about Satan. And we're actually going to be talking quite a bit about Satan. I, I mentioned that to Pastor Phil when, when we were talking about me preaching tonight. And he got fired up. He, he was laughing. He was smiling. So I guess he likes messages about, uh, you know, the devil and this and that. Because the devil doesn't get talked about all that much, right? If you're, if you're a Christian, you talk about God all the time. You talk about Jesus all the time. But the devil, we, we kind of try to... Either we shy away from it 
or we don't like to set our foot in the water because if you think about it, when you talk about the devil and everything else, well, what gets uncovered next is the fact that eternity has two destinations, heaven and hell. And if you don't have Christ, if you don't have Christ's salvation, if you don't have Christ's blood covering your sins, you can't go to heaven. It's as simple as that. You're bound to go to hell. And it's a hard message for us, I think, to, to break it to, to non-believers because it just sounds so, it's so heavy. And you don't really want to hit them with the, the bad stuff. You want to hit them with the good stuff. You want to make Christianity and God and Jesus be all about the good news, which it is. But listen, understanding Satan and understanding the devil, I think, is very critical to your walk with Christ. Because in this life, you're going to sin. You're going to stumble into sin. It's a matter of how you pick yourself up and how you continue on from there. Once you start sinning, you don't want to stay there. You want to repent, turn from it, ask God for forgiveness, and run away from it as quickly as you can. It's not always so easy to do. And the reason is, is because we have an accuser. We have a deceiver who's basically embattling us all of our lives. Okay? And so Jesus here says he beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. So just as a backstory, there's only a couple of verses that talk about the devil and where he came from. This is one of them. We know that the devil was one of God's angels, right? Lucifer the angel. In the Old Testament, he's referred to as that bright morning star. But when Jesus says he saw him fell, fall like lightning from heaven, that strikes me as, as very, very descriptive, okay? I mean, that means he fell fast in an instant. Have you ever seen lightning? It's, it's quick. Even if you watch it in slow motion, it looks just as fast as in regular motion. But here's, here's, my, here's my wondering on this, okay? God created the angels and everything else way before he created man, like they were there, why would an angel who's in the presence of God choose to rebel against God? So in other words, we spend our lives as believers hoping to get, you know, working towards getting to heaven and doing everything we can, accepting salvation, because we're looking forward to being with God, right? Now, why would you ever want to take yourself and be away from that? Why would you rebel and cast yourself out of heaven, basically? So the question is, why would Satan leave heaven? He's in the presence of God. He has everything he could ever want or need, right? He has to bend his knee. He has to acknowledge who God is as the creator and the almighty. And the Bible doesn't give you a whole lot of answers here. There's not chapters and books in the Bible that are going to explain to you exactly why Satan did what he did. But we're going to tonight try and piece together some of the, the puzzle, as it were. And I think we have some, some wisdom we can impart and some knowledge we can pull from these pages. So, Okay. We know the angels were closer to God than any, cre any, any creatures, right? But Satan fell like lightning, and he fell quick. And the only thing I can think of is he left heaven because he had a plan, he had a purpose, he had a strategy, okay? I wouldn't rebel against God. <laughs> I mean, I did it in my life before I was saved, and I still do when I sin. But I wouldn't knowingly rebel against God because I know the punishment is eternal damnation. I don't want that, <laughs> I don't think anyone wants that. I would like to go to heaven. I would like to be with God for all eternity in a perfect place. So I wouldn't rebel against him and reject him because I see how good things are going to be once I'm with him. Okay? Has anyone ever played chess? Is anyone familiar with the game of chess? Yeah? Okay. We've got quite a few wannabe chess masters in here. Maybe some of you are great. I don't know. Uh, when I was a kid, we had this, this uh, video game on the computer called Battle Chess. Has anyone ever heard of that? Yeah? You're young. I, didn't, I, didn't, I wouldn't expect that. 
It's good. Okay. So battle chess, it's regular chess, but on the computer, all the pieces are animated. Like the king is actually this kingly person. The queen is a queen. You have the, the castles, which are like these tough-looking things. And as you move the pieces, you actually see them animate and like walk across the board. It's kind of like um, in Harry Potter, they have something similar. But once you actually take a piece, so if I use my pawn to capture a piece, there's an animation of the fight and the piece knocking the other piece out. It's really cool, battle chess. And I always thought it was neat as a kid. I'm, I'm lousy at chess. But the point of chess is it's a strategy game. And you're always trying to be ahead of your opponent, not just with what you're doing, but with what you're doing two, three, four moves ahead. And you're trying to anticipate what your opponent's going to do for the next two, three, four moves. So there's a lot of strategy and planning that's involved. And I'm thinking, this is, some of this might be my own personal uh, study of the word here, but I think when Satan left heaven, I think he had a strategy. Because he's intelligent, I know that. I'm just a man, my intelligence is where it is. I can't fathom the intelligence of angels and God. I mean, that's way beyond anything. So the fact that Satan is intelligent tells me he wouldn't have left heaven unless he had some kind of a reason, some kind of a plan. And if I think of this like a chess game, if Satan is rebelling against God and God is now his adversary, what are his moves? What is he trying to do? And we find one of them. You don't have to flip there. We're going to stay in Luke. But we all know the story in Genesis 3. Okay? So the first two chapters of Genesis kind of set the stage of all creation. Genesis 3 is what talks about what? What story? Adam and Eve in the fall. Okay? It's God in the garden with Adam and Eve. And there's one other creature in the garden, the serpent, the accuser, the deceiver, Satan. What is he there to do? Well, I'm going to tell you, this is what I believe his first chess move was. His first chess move was to tempt man, to tempt Adam and Eve, to offer them the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The one thing that God told them not to do. So they're in the Garden of Eden with God in perfection. There's only one rule God had for them. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's what God said. And as you read in Genesis 3, again, you don't need to flip there, but we're familiar with the story. Satan tempted Eve, offered her the apple. She did eat of it, offered it to the husband. The husband did eat of it, and both of them fell into sin. And as you read throughout the Bible, you find that that sin, that original sin, that's when sin entered into the world through this first action that happened in the garden. So whereas before God had man and woman, a perfect creation, sinless, once the devil got involved, now sin entered into the world. And through their lineage, through Adam and Eve, all of humanity is now tainted with sin. And we see that because all of us have sinned. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Our families and friends and coworkers aren't perfect. Some of us might be a little better than others, we think. But listen, we're all in the same boat. And that is we're all in the boat of I'm a sinner and I need God's grace. If I don't have God's grace covering me, I'm guilty. And you don't want to show up at the judgment seat of God guilty. Because once you do, there's not a second chance there. Your chance is now here on this earth. The reason we exist is to choose whether we want to accept God's grace or not. That is the ultimate purpose of your life. And Satan, I think, would deceive us from that and blind us from it. If you think about how many distractions there are on a day-to-day -day basis in the world, okay? You know, we all have Bibles in our hands and our pews at our, at our homes. You know, I have one on my phone, an app that I can use to read the Bible. But this book, how many people have never even cracked the cover? 
How many people have never even heard of it or seen it or, or read it or actually engaged with it? Because the world wants to keep us distracted 24-7. And that is, I think the devil's hand is in that too. When you look at TV and media and your smartphones and your Instagram and social media and all these things, you know, our lives are kind of built to be just thing after thing after thing after thing after thing. Because God, the devil, sorry, the devil knows if your schedule is jam-packed and you don't have any time for God or his word, you're, you just don't even know. There's kids and a whole generation growing up that haven't heard about Jesus Christ and what he actually did. They may have heard his name when someone cursed him in school, but they don't know who he actually is. They don't know he was a real person that lived and did what he did for us. And if they don't know that, how can they, how can they get saved? They need to hear it. And we need to be the ones to help make that happen. God counts on his believers, on those who are saved, to spread that message of the gospel. Okay, so I'm going to call this Satan's first chess move, Adam and Eve in the garden. And let's, let's call that a successful move on Satan's part. Okay, now God's, God's the grandmaster of all chess. So we, we know the ending of this story, but bear with me. Satan has his first move. He gets sin to enter into the world. Now all of mankind is subject to sin and the guilt that comes with it. Let's take a look at what I'd call a second move from Satan here. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Flip back page 87. Okay. I'm going to read a couple of verses here. Uh, verses 1 through 13. And I would call this Satan's second chess move in the scheme of his rebellion against God. All right, the Bible says in Luke chapter 4, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil, taking him up, into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Let's pause right there. In a moment of time. I think the devil was showing Jesus here all the kingdoms of the world, not just the, the ones back then. I mean all of them, past, present, and future, because it says in a moment of time. So imagine Jesus being tempted with the kingdoms of the past, the kingdoms of the present, the kingdoms of the future. We can't even fathom. That's what was on the docket here. Let's continue in verse 6. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will give it. The devil acknowledges that he has power over the world. The worldly kingdoms belong to him. He can give them to whom he chooses. He's trying to get, offer them to Jesus here. Now, he might be lying. He might not have all that power. <laughs> I don't know. One thing I know about Satan is he lies a lot. Let's read on in verse 7. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem, and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee, to keep thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. So the devil saying, you have all the angels of God at your command, Jesus. Even though you're on this high temple, why don't you just throw yourself off? God's not going to let harm come to you. 
his angels will simply rescue you and keep you from, from bodily, bodily harm. And Jesus in verse 12 answers him and says, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Verse 13, When the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. So the devil tries three ways here to try to get Jesus to sin. He's trying to get him to use his power for himself to create food. He's trying to get him to accept all the glory and power of the earthly kingdoms. He's, the devil's trying to seduce Jesus with the world. I'll give all of this to you. All of the kingdoms and riches that come therein, they could all be yours. And then he tempts him by saying, why don't you just put God to the test? Why don't you throw yourself off this high peak just to, to prove that you are the Son of God? So Satan is trying to tempt Jesus here three times. And Jesus, all three times, refers to Scripture and resists. You know, it's written in the Bible, if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. Amen. And we see here, Jesus resisted him three straight times. And what happened in verse 13? The devil ended all the temptation. He departed. He fleed from Jesus. Because he knew he couldn't, he couldn't get him. He knew he couldn't cause this man to sin, the Son of God, Jesus Christ in the flesh. The devil could not get him to sin. He's the Lamb of God. He's sinless. He's the only one who could ever do it. So if this is Satan's second chess move, the first move was he got sin to enter in the world. Second move, let me see if I can get the Son of God to sin. We're going to call that a failure of a move. It didn't work out for him. Because you think about this. If Jesus had actually given in to this temptation and sinned, none of us could be saved. Salvation only works because the Lamb of God was blameless before the throne of God. If that blood's not pure, it can't wash away our sins. Our sins had to be paid for by a sacrifice, and that sacrifice had to be a perfect, sinless human being, which God satisfied in the person of Jesus Christ. So, at this point, Jesus is still doing his earthly ministry. He goes off into Galilee and all the cities, Capernaum and whatnot, to preach. The devil departs from him for a season. But is that the end of the story? What happens next with Satan? If you read the four Gospels, there's not a whole lot mentioned of, of Satan after this point. They all mention the temptation in the wilderness. All four Gospels hit that. But after that, there's not a whole lot that's involved specifically with Satan. You hear about Jesus and his disciples and the 70 casting out demons, casting out devils. Well, those are Satan's, Satan's angels, right? The devils that, that followed him from heaven when they fell as well. But they're not the guy. They're not the king, Satan. The king, king of, of evil, let's call him. The deceiver, the accuser. So Satan, if you read in the Gospel of Luke, he comes back one more time to do one more thing. And this perplexed me. I couldn't understand why this last thing happened. Because I understand the first two moves. I understand the devil trying to get sin into the world. That creates all kind of havoc. I understand the devil trying to tempt Jesus into sinning. If he could get him to do it, it would undermine God's plan for salvation. But this third thing really had me perplexed. And I want to give you the answer tonight at least what, what I believe God has shown me to be the answer. So go ahead and flip to page 123, 123. We went over Satan's first move. We went over his second move. We're going to go over the third move. You'll find it on page 123, 123. This is chapter 22. And I'm going to read the first six verses. Now this is right before the Passover. So this is very close to the crucifixion. This is very close to when Jesus takes the cross. And it's right before the Last Supper. And let's read in chapter 22. 
Now the feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. And he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains, how he might betray them, betray him unto them. And they were glad and covenanted to give him money. And he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. So Judas Iscariot is one of the twelve. He's the one who betrayed Jesus, one of the twelve disciples. And this is foreshadowed throughout the Gospels. Jesus constantly refers to the fact that someone in his own, his own group is going to betray him. But this is the only gospel that specifically says in verse 3, then Satan entered into Judas's chariot, and Judas then went to the chief priests and betrayed Jesus. Now, why is, that, why is that a move that Satan made? And this puzzled me, because I couldn't understand, you know, Jesus being betrayed is a direct action that led to him being crucified on the cross. And him being crucified on the cross is a direct action that led to us being able to obtain salvation. Because if Jesus doesn't die for our sins, we cannot be saved. And I thought about this and I said, why would the devil seemingly play a part in that and help that process along? Why would the devil want to speed things up? Because surely the devil knows once Jesus is crucified and that blood of the lamb is spilt, that all of us now have freedom to choose salvation through God. The the devil must know this. So why would he kind of push things along and, and, and help them in their course? And here's what I want to point you to. We need to go to Luke chapter 23. Towards the end of the chapter on page 127. And this is the moment that Jesus is hanging on the cross. This is the moment that our Savior is being crucified before the very world. Let's read in verse 33. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. Let's pause for a second here. We have three separate instances. The people in the crowd, the rulers there. We have the soldiers, and we have one of them on the cross, all saying to Jesus, save yourself. He's hanging on the cross. He's being crucified for us. He's already been beaten, badly scourged, and he's hanging on that cross. He still has life. He's still breathing. And three times he's being told by separate people, save yourself. If you be the Son of God, if you be the King of the Jews, save yourself. And I think... The reason Satan entered into Judas to push this along was for this moment right here. This message is called hanging in the balance. And I want to purport to you this. When Jesus was on the cross, at that moment in time, everything was hanging in the balance. Everything was hanging in the balance. The fate of every human being on this world that could ever be saved, every soul that ever lived, depended on that action. 
Jesus had to take the cross. We know this. He had to die for our sins. We know this. And the devil knew this too. So what was the point of the devil trying to get to this, this, this spot here? This moment in time, what made it so critical? I think the devil's plan was, maybe I can tempt Jesus one more time. Maybe I can tempt God. My son is about 15 months old. He's a little guy. I love him to death. When I get home, he runs up to me screaming, Dad, 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 Dad. He just wants a hug. And these days, since I'm home during the day sleeping, when I wake up, he doesn't really know that I've been sleeping in the house the whole time. He thinks I got home from work. So he gets excited. And I love my son so much. I have so much joy just from watching him, from holding him, from hugging him, from seeing him learn, from seeing him grow. And if you've ever been a parent, you've experienced that. You know what that love is. Now, I want you to imagine your only child, your beloved son or daughter, your only child being sacrificed to die a needless death. This didn't have to happen. God didn't have to let Jesus die on the cross. He did. And for our sake, he did. But he didn't have to. You think about it. If God wanted to pull the plug on this whole thing, right there at that moment on the cross, could God have just taken Jesus and just pulled him back up into heaven? Absolutely he could have. He's God. He has power over everything. There's nothing that he cannot do. And to watch his own son, the only one of us who could ever live a sinless life, to watch his only son hang on a cross, tortured, gasping for air, enduring pain that we deserve, for him to watch that, how hard would that have been? I can't imagine that kind of pain being inflicted on my son. It would break my heart. It would literally break my heart. I would be a broken person. I wouldn't be able to go through with it. I would have to jump in and save him. But God didn't. God stayed his hand. And I think the devil was ba banking on the fact that maybe God wouldn't. Maybe God would pull Jesus out of there. Maybe something would happen that would, would take away salvation from all of humanity. But we know the answer in, God, in John 3.16. We know what happened. And listen, God let it happen. God let it run its course. Because God decided that, you know what? My beloved son, the only one, the only human who could ever live a sinless life, I'm going to let this take the course because I love the world just that much. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to choose us, sin, sinful creatures. He didn't have to choose us over his only son, but he did. And what kind of love is that? I can't imagine giving up my son for the lives of strangers. Even if I see that it might benefit them or do something, I, I can't. I don't have the kind of love that God has. I can't understand that. And that's why God's love is such a perfect love. Because it transcends any emotion that we could ever, we could ever hold. God let this take its course. Read in verse 40. And this is the other thief on the cross. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me. Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. 
And having said this, he gave up the ghost. This is God's ultimate moment. If you want to talk about any pivotal moment in human history, in the history of creation, this is it. There is no bigger moment than this. Because this is the moment that God freely offered salvation to anyone who would ever live, past, present, and future. You, me, anyone here in the pews, anyone watching online, anyone out there in the world. All of us can now choose salvation through Jesus Christ. It happened because God went through with it. In that moment, you read in verse 44, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was a darkness over all the earth. I wonder what was going through God's head during those three hours. I wonder what was going through Jesus' mind in those three hours because everything was hanging in the balance. And the good news of all of it is God decided to go through with it. He said, I'm going to take this to its conclusion. And just like the devil entered sin into the world, God crushed it and totally extinguished sin from being a penalty for us through the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the best thing that has ever happened in all of human history. And there's a whole world out there that doesn't know it. And there's a whole world out there that's deceived and distracted and not paying attention to it. And even us, even us who are saved and believe, we can be jaded to it. We can sometimes fall away for a season. But God's love is so good, isn't it? Isn't it? He gave up His only Son. His perfect Son. He gave up His only Son. Let Him lay down His life for us. There's no better gift that God could ever give you. And all you have to do is believe that He did it for you. It's not even like once you hear that, you have to jump through all these hoops and do all these things and complete this, this work and beat all these levels or pass this test. There is no test. The test is just, do you accept that I did this for you? Will you put your faith in the fact that I did this for you? Once you've done that, you're saved. God made it so easy for us. And at that moment, when Jesus gave up the ghost, the devil knew that was checkmate. It was completely checkmate. Because the, the game's over. Now, I like to think of uh, someone young playing chess, right? And, and you, you go into checkmate, and they're looking at the board, and they're just thinking, no, no, it's not over. Meanwhile, the winning player just walks away from the board, and, and the losing players, they're just moving the pieces or, or just futzing with the board, doing whatever they do. And the devil, though he can deceive you, though he can lead you into sin, he has no more power over your soul. He doesn't. God freely offered, through His Son, Jesus Christ, a way of salvation. And ever since that moment, to every human being who ever lives, it's like an open invitation from God. It's like God's hand is extended saying, if you want to be saved, all you have to do is grab onto my hand. I'm going to pull you right into eternity, right into eternal life. But you have to choose it. I'm not going to force you. You have to choose it. Has everyone in this room chosen that? Amen. Has everyone in this room chosen that? Amen. Now we have a responsibility. Listen, though I can stand up here and preach by God's grace, by whatever gifts or abilities God's trained me on in my life, when I get out there in the world, you know how much I talk about the gospel? It's pitiful. Next to none. I'm rarely someone who leads someone into a conversation about Christ. And that's a shame on me. Because if I did, what could God do with that? And God counts on, 
God counts on people to spread his word, to save souls. There's a whole world out there, people dying left and right, and some of them are dying in their sins. But if they would just reach out and grab God's hand, they'd be saved. And my challenge for myself, you take away from this what you will, my challenge for myself is that I wish I was more open with the gospel. I wish I wasn't afraid of it. Because the devil is like that person who's still trying to play the chessboard even though the game's up. He still, he knows he's on borrowed time. His judgment's coming. And it's a foregone conclusion. He's already lost. But until that, time, until that timer goes off, he's like the team in football that's just trying to score garbage points. If you're down 80 to 7 in the fourth quarter, you're not winning the game. And the other team obviously isn't even playing that hard because the game's over. But you're still throwing the ball, trying to get touchdowns. Okay. The devil's out there making his moves. What are we doing? Are we making our moves? Because there's souls out there that still need to be saved. And the devil's trying to get them. But are we trying to get them? The Gospel of Matthew says, few there be that find it, in reference to eternal life in heaven. So in other words, the majority of the world is not going to make it to heaven. They're bound for hell. Your own friends, your own family, your co-workers... People you think are good people that maybe seem religious, that you think are probably saved, God only knows. But listen, I need to be better about sharing the gospel. It can't just be within these four walls. If it is, what are we doing? We're just practicing. We're not really even engaged. God can use me in here, but God wants to use me out there. That's what he needs. And I implore myself. I wish I was more open with it. I don't want the devil to make me think that, oh, don't talk about the gospel. If you talk about the gospel, this person, you know, bad things are going to happen. It's not going to go well. They're going to they're scorn you and ridicule you, or they're never going to talk to you again. I can't be afraid of that, but I'm so indoctrined to believe that, and that's why I'm so shy about it. So if you want to pray and help yourself, just like I want to help myself, let's pray right now and see what we can do. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. Your love is so unbelievable, so perfect. The fact that you gave your son to die on a cross purely because you loved us, Lord. I know you didn't have to do it, but you did do it because you wanted to have that relationship with those of us who would choose you. Lord, I pray that I can be a better follower of you. I pray that I can be a better Christian. I pray that I can be someone, Lord, who's not ashamed of the gospel but instead embraces it. Lord, I want that good news to flow through me. I want it to be something that I can't bottle up and keep contained within me. And Lord, anyone else who's praying this, Lord, I pray that you would give them that same blessing. Help us, Lord, to be those who would spread the good news that you count on us to spread. Help us to further your gospel in this world, Lord, a hurting world that needs your touch, that needs your love, that needs your grace. Help us to talk to coworkers, to friends, to family. Help us to talk to our sons and daughters, our parents, whoever needs to hear, Lord, when we talk to him and that Holy Spirit within us stirs and gives us that prompt of talking about the gospel, help us, Lord, to know what to say. Fill our mouths with the words you would have us say to navigate those conversations. Help us not be ashamed or afraid, Lord. But instead, help us to go forward, choosing to do exactly what you've called us to do. Lord, because we're only on this earth for a short time, and after that, we're going to be with you in eternal life. And that's where all the good things are going to be, Lord. But until we get there, help us not to shy away from the work that you have for us. 
I pray a blessing on everyone in this church, on everyone who comes out, on everyone who listens, on everyone who's chosen salvation, Lord. I pray that you would use every single one of us, Lord, regardless of who we are or our age or our abilities. Lord, you can use anyone to do anything you want. And I pray that you would use all of us to do mighty things in your name, Lord. Because I can't think of a better life that would be served than one to serve you, the Lord God Almighty. I pray all these things, and I pray this blessing on this church in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We're going to take some prayer requests, and uh, we'll do what we do Wednesday night. We'll take some prayer requests, and we'll pray. I'll have Brother Justin come up here and do that, and I just want to thank everyone for being out here tonight. It's a blessing to see you all.